In just a moment, I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, the closing verses, verses 11 through 13. If you want to have your Bibles open, uh, as I reference that, not only during the reading, but uh, during the message. And before I lead us in prayer, I will remind you that our team is still in Ukraine. Uh, they've been in Lviv and Kiev, uh, and they are continuing to have wonderful meetings, planning strategies for uh, global missions and for uh, training leaders. We're excited about that. We need to pray them home. They'll be home this Wednesday. Of course, you know, I hope you know by now, that Vacation Bible Camp begins bright and early this, uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, and then in the afternoons, our basketball camp. So remember to pray for all of our workers, pray for uh, the children, pray for all of those who will be uh, helping to make that a wonderful experience. Would you bow with me for a time of prayer, please? Our loving God, we thank you for hearing our prayers, for the opportunity as a, as a church family to come into your presence. And we do pray for Vacation Bible Camp, for all of the boys and girls who will be learning and receiving and giving blessings as well, learning and, and uh, taking in the gospel. We pray for the teachers and the workers and the drivers and the kitchen crew and uh, the basketball staff, all of those who are working to make this a great sowing of gospel seed. We pray for our team in Ukraine. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of something larger than ourselves. We pray that you will keep them safe, give them strength, bless them in their work as they listen, as they learn, as you plant a vision in their hearts. We pray for the upcoming trip to Kenya, that your spirit might even now be preparing the hearts and lives for that mission as well and for our partners there. Lord, we pray today for all of the broken lives around us within our church family, those with physical illness and mental illness, those families who are struggling with finances and struggling with discord and brokenness. We pray for our Jefferson City community, for those who are hungry for food, for those who are homeless, for those who are without Christ. We pray for people all over the world today who are displaced because of war and because of tragedies, for those who are persecuted, those who are uh, victims of trafficking, we pray that you might help us to be instruments of your peace and justice. We ask God that you forgive us for our sins. Uh, in our broken lives, we not only hurt you, but we hurt others, and we pray your forgiveness. Fill us with your Trinitarian fullness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach us day by day to be encouragers, not critics, to live the gospel faithfully. And now, O oh God, we pray that you will Open our hearts for understanding your word. May you be real in our lives, O oh, Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit live forever, one God. Amen. Second Corinthians, the 13th chapter, verses 11, 12, and 13. A brief passage, but packed with lots of uh, teaching for us. If you're able, would you stand, please, as God's word is read. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. 
Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I wonder how many of you have ever noticed the Trinity stained glass windows in our sanctuary. Some of you have been worshiping here as long as this building has been built, but if you've ever paid attention to the hand that is in the middle, if you're sitting on the side, you probably can't see it. Uh, The hand in the middle representing God, the lamb on your left representing Jesus Christ, the dove on your right representing the Holy Spirit, that's called the Trinity stained glass. How many times in our worship services have we sung the words, God in three persons, blessed Trinity? But maybe we never stop to think about what all that means. You've seen uh, me and others baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you hear me pray sometimes in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. But we sometimes don't even stop to think, what do all those phrases mean? This passage that I just read to you, from 2 Corinthians 13, in the 13th verse, the closing verse, that is the earliest historical reference we have in writing to the persons of the Trinity being grouped together. Now, there are no Bible passages that say, here is the doctrine of the Trinity, but Bible passages mention the three persons of the Trinity. In fact, I've prepared a sheet for you that's on the Narthex Welcome Center table, uh, it's also available on our church's webpage if you don't want to bother with the hard copy, listing some of the New Testament, of the many New Testament references that mention the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit sort of in the same breath or the same passage or the same verse to show us the many ways that those three persons are connected. And yet, for the first 400 years of the church's life, The church had councils and conventions and meetings debating and arguing what it really means that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all real and all in relationship together. Almost 400 years trying to figure all of that out. And of course, we still haven't figured out the mystery of the Trinity. Here's the problem. If you talk too much about the Trinity and don't really spend some time trying to think and study and pray about it, you end up sounding as if you're worshiping three gods, which is polytheism. We are monotheists. We believe in one God. By by the way, that's the knock that many Muslims have against Christians. They don't understand this, and they think that we worship three gods, but we don't. There is one God. There is one God. Yet that God, Scripture teaches, exists from eternity with Christ and with the Holy Spirit. Those three persons exist in Trinity. That is, Jesus Christ did not come into existence when he was born a baby in Bethlehem. That's when he became flesh, but Scripture teaches that he was pre-existent with the Father as the Holy Spirit as well. It's a lot to get your mind around, isn't it? 
I had a wonderful theology professor uh, at seminary, Dr. Morris Ashcraft. And he said one day in class that the Trinity is required or bound to come into our focus the moment we start talking about Jesus being God's Son and the moment we start calling Jesus Lord just as we call God Lord. You ever think about that? When we start giving Jesus the name Lord, the same name we give God, Dr. Ashcraft said, that necessitates an understanding of Trinity. What's more, when we start saying that the Spirit is present with us always, and that is the Spirit of Jesus or the Spirit of God, we require some concept of Trinity. You really just can't get around that. Now, here's the deal. I know it's summertime, and some of you are out of school, and I know it's relatively early on a Sunday morning, but I need you to do some hard thinking with me this morning. I want to give you more than baby food. I want to give you some spiritual food, so I'm going to ask that you do some real hard thinking and listening. You're spiritually minded, you're smart people. I think you can do this. So stay with me, okay? Stay with me. I want to put on the screen something that I think is vitally important, that the Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity are intertwined, interdependent, and interpenetrating. That is, they exist in one another. They are intimately connected with mutual indwelling. That's a pile of words. That's a lot of concepts, but I need you to think and work with me on this this morning because this is so rich and so important. And analogies always break down. Whenever you try to do comparisons and, and say the, Holy, the Trinity is like this, they work for a while and then they don't. Illustrations and drawings don't always work, but this is one of the famous symbols of the Trinity that perhaps comes the closest to capturing the intertwined, interdependent, interpenetrating connections. There are three interlocking symbols, but it's really difficult to tell where one ends and the other begins because they are in perpetual relationship with each other. And each is made richer by the other. These are mysteries that we only approximate when we approach teachings in Scripture about the Trinity, but they're all important. So I'm going to let you just sit with that for a moment and think about it. Now here's something to consider. Scripture never really starts with doctrine and then moves to experience. Scripture doesn't start that way. If you think about it, Jesus never held a, a conference on the Holy Spirit and said to the disciples, now we're going to develop a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I want you to take notes and we're going to have a whiteboard and we're going to do some brainstorming and once we figure this out, that will be our doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now go out and live it. Jesus went the other way around. Scripture doesn't start with doctrine. 
and move toward experience. Scripture flips that around. Scripture starts with experience, and doctrines or teachings are formulated out of that. And the Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity came on the radar screen of the early believers because of their lived experience. They didn't go to a conference on the Trinity. They simply lived the gospel of the risen Christ and they began to reflect on it. And I love what James Stewart, a famous 20th century uh, Scottish preacher once said. He said the reason they developed an understanding of the Trinity was that they kept saying the word God. And when they said the word God, that word didn't say everything they wanted to say about God. They could only say all they wanted to say about God by also talking about Jesus Christ and about the Holy Spirit. We can only say what we want to say about God by also talking about the Holy Spirit and about Jesus. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. When I baptize, or Noah baptizes, or one of our other pastors baptize, we quote Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, where Jesus said, go and baptize in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, plural. Did you ever catch the grammatical inconsistency there? In the name, not in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but in the name of one, one God, three expressions. That lived experience. That lived experience. This is how they experienced God in, in three realities. Now, for those of you who are impatient, for those of you who are very concrete-minded, for those of you who wish the preacher would get on with it, for those of you who, who are sitting there saying, that's all really nice theory, but what's that got to do with my life, with real life? Well, here you go. The Corinthian church was fragmented. Fussing, fighting, quarreling, divisions. Uh, it's summertime, and some of you uh, parents have experienced uh, sort of what Tammy referenced uh, in the children's time, trying to travel in an automobile over a long distance with small children. Mama, Tommy looked at me. Make Johnny get out of my space. This is the wall. He's in my space. You ever have that? No, right? I'm the only parent who ever experienced that, right? Well, that was the kind of bickering that was going on in, in Corinth and Paul was saying to them as he closed his second letter, God exists in community. Our God exists in relationship. Our God experiences unity and diversity in the expression of his Trinitarian fullness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be like God. Be diverse, but be intimately connected and wound together. Get along the way God gets along in community. And here's a second application to the teachings of the Trinity. 
I dare you, whoever you are, I dare you to try to follow Jesus successfully by neglecting one person of the Trinity. You try to successfully follow Jesus by neglecting God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit and see how far it gets you. In fact, that may be why Christianity is so anemic today is that we, ha- we have not had a well-formed teaching and doctrine of the Holy Trinity. See, Paul saw the Corinthians dealing with sin and shame and guilt. He saw them dealing with bad habits and addictions. He saw them being too much like the world. He saw them trying to live out of their own resources and, and, and quarreling. And he said, God is just waiting to infuse you with his Trinitarian fullness and power and blessing. Don't try to do this on your own. Avail yourselves of his full blessings. And you see, even the order that Paul mentions shows us that it's a lived experience. He didn't mention the Father first. He said, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. We start with what we know. Jesus came to make God real. The grace of Jesus Christ opens up for us the love of God, that God has loved us before the foundation of the world. Jesus died for us. And the Holy Spirit is the glue that holds it all together. And there's probably somebody sitting out there this morning saying, I don't understand the Trinity. I'm a very uh, pragmatic kind of person, so I don't, want to, I don't want anything to do with it. But I want to remind you that we always end up participating in things we don't fully understand. We are all enjoying the benefits of air conditioning right now. How many of you could explain in intricate detail the HVAC system and how it works with Freon and cooling systems? Everybody probably arrived here today, most everybody, in an automobile. Do you understand all of how an automobile works? But you participate in it. Children get sick and have high fevers. We don't understand all of the molecular details of antibiotic, but we're happy and thankful to go to the pharmacy and get some medicine to help our sick baby. We participate in a lot of things we don't understand. And God invites us to participate in his Trinitarian presence. A preacher was preaching one time from Ephesians 3.19, be filled with all the fullness of God. And after the sermon, a, a quiet, humble lady came up to him. And she'd been listening carefully as he challenge the people to be filled with all the fullness of God. And she said, very meekly, Pastor, I can't hold much, but I can overflow lots. And that's just, I think, what God wants us to do. We can't hold much, but he would sure be happy if we overflowed a lot. I don't know about you, but I want to participate 
in the fullness of the Godhead. I want to participate in the fullness of what God has for us. Let's pray together. As we bow for prayer, we invite you to prepare for our response time, our altar call. Perhaps you're here this morning, you want to join our church, transferring your membership. Uh, This would be a great time for you to do that. Maybe as a follower of Christ, you want to come pray about some special calling on your life. Uh, Just have somebody pray with you about a particular struggle you're having. You may be here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior to repent of your sin and to say, I need you, Jesus. I can't do what you did for me on the cross. Would you come into my life? And we're here to help you with that decision as well if that's the desire of your heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fullness of your blessings. Help us to live in the power of the gospel and help us to be obedient as we listen to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.